The good news of our Savior Jesus Christ according to Luke. After these things, the Lord commissioned 72 others and sent them on ahead in pairs to every city and place he was about to go. He said to them, the harvest is bigger than you can imagine, but there are few workers. Therefore, plead with the Lord of the harvest to send out workers for his harvest. Go, be warned though that I'm sending you out as lambs among wolves. Carry no wallet, no bag, and no sandals. Don't even greet anyone along the way. Whenever you enter a house, first say, may peace be on this house. If anyone there shares God's peace, then your peace will rest on that person. If not, your blessing will return to you. Remain in this house, eating and drinking whatever they set before you, for workers deserve their pay. Don't move from house to house. Whenever you enter a city and its people welcome you, eat what they set before you. Heal the sick who are there and say to them, God's kingdom has come upon you. Whenever you enter a city and the people don't welcome you, go out into the streets and say, and as a complaint against you, we brush off the dust of your city that is collected on our feet. But know this, God's kingdom has come to you. Whoever listens to you listens to me. Whoever rejects you rejects me. Whoever rejects me rejects the one who sent me. The 72 returned joyously saying, Lord, even the demons submit themselves to us in your name. Jesus replied, I saw Satan fall from heaven like lightning. Look, I have given you authority to crush snakes and scorpions underfoot. I have given you authority over all the power of the enemy. Nothing will harm you. Nevertheless, don't rejoice because the spirits submit to you. Rejoice instead that your names are written in heaven. Good news from the Lord. I thought I would share this with y'all. It's very funny how these things happen. So remember this beautiful gospel book that was given to us by this lovely United Methodist Church plant in Houston last year or the year before, I can't remember. They are now becoming an Episcopal church, which is a very interesting turn of events um, and unfortunate turn of events, of course, because of um, turmoil in their own denomination um, that has caused them to leave that denomination and seek a home in the Episcopal Church in the Diocese of Texas. So keep Holy Family, um, they're called Holy Family, the name of that community in Houston, and I really consider them kind of a sister uh, community to us. Keep them in your prayers, because um, this is a huge shift for them, and an, an, an interesting shift kind of in the history of Christianity as um, whole denominations are realigning um, over questions about human sexuality, just as happened in our denomination 15 years ago, um, and is happening across denominations, across Christianity. So when we see kingdom of God language in the Gospels, it is usually a euphemism for two things. One, 
how the world looks when God is in charge, which takes a lot of imagination. Number two, what it means when we are wrapped in God's very self, which too takes a lot of imagination. Kingdom language makes me very nervous, which is not shocking to those of you who know me well. Over the centuries, kingdom language has been used to justify horrendous crimes against humanity in the name of God. If God is king and we are his loyal subjects, and people who use this kind of language tend to refer to God in masculine ways, our prerogative should be to forcefully expand this kingdom at all costs, or so the logic goes. And so the plunder and forced baptisms of the Middle Ages and the imperialism of more recent centuries found their basis in that kind of imaginarium of the kingdom of God. And it made its way into the life of Christian empires that saw no limit to where the boundaries of God's kingship might find dominion, or better said, domination. Often making human desires for domination ubiquitous with the kingdom of God. And yet, in stark contrast with these notions is the quiet, unassuming, and vulnerable reign of God, Jesus so joyfully embodied in his work of healing and storytelling and sharing of meals. Notice, if you will, that Jesus sends out 72 unarmed people carry no wallet, no bag, and no sandals. Whenever you're welcomed into a house, first say, may peace be on this house. If that peace is not returned, your blessing will not be wasted. It will return to you. Eat and heal there and say, God's reign has come to you. Because that is how the world looks when God is in charge. People share food and stories and drinks, and in the process, they are healed and set free. Again, this is a stark contrast to how we've often thought of God's kingdom. Maybe because we know the unfortunate ways we'd run the world if we were in charge. In this vision of God's reign, or God's commonwealth, or as some have begun calling it, God's kingdom, which really takes 
hierarchical language out of that phrase altogether. God's kingdom, God's dominion of kinship, of family. The choice to receive and give love is entirely in the hands of the inhabitants of a given place, or in this text, of a given city. If someone enters our home, or our place of prayer, or our workplace with the desire to reach beyond and outside of themselves, to bless us, and we do not welcome their gestures of hospitality, the reign of God just became out of reach. And that person has every right to brush the dust of our city or of our relationship from their feet and move on to the next person or place. But know this, God's reign was this close and we received a waft of its sweet aroma and interpreted it as an offensive odor or took a bite of an unknown dish and let our limited palate write it off as unsavory, unwanted. This then is when the fundamental vulnerability of Jesus's project, if you want to call this kind of healing and teaching and storytelling and building of relationships and organizing of communities. This Jesus project is exposed for what it actually is. A gesture by God of love made toward us that we will not receive or that when we make it toward another is not received. And I've spoken about this in this community before, that at the heart of the Christian religion is the risk of love, the vulnerability of love, of exposing ourselves to be loved and to love others and have that love rejected or written off. And that's embodied most clearly, of course, in the crucifixion. The reign of God, or the kingdom of God, or the commonwealth of God, or the beloved community, as Dr. King called it, does not come by force, but it comes by vulnerability, by vulnerable love, by practices that draw us to tables like the one behind me, that bring us to river and ocean shores, seeking like an infant to be bathed in water, to have our foreheads anointed with oil and told tenderly that we are loved unconditionally by God, and that nothing we do can change that reality. Nothing. The reign of God, the beloved community, is sitting across from those we do not know or those with whom we do not share a language 
or those we do not necessarily like. Maybe I'm speaking for myself. And sharing a meal or standing eye to eye across from someone we've hurt or who has hurt us and sharing words of forgiveness that repair us deep inside. God's reign, God's kingdom, God's commonwealth, the beloved community has come close to us and we have not known it or we've known it and not wanted it, or we've wanted it and not recognized it. Because though we long for it, the mystery shrouding it makes it just elusive enough, just slippery enough to slide through our fingers to miss it. <laughs>